0: Welcome to episode 31 of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. It's been more than three years since former US President Donald Trump launched a trade war against China. The Chinese government says it was a waste of time. It insists that the clash with the US hasn't suppressed China's development and there's still a massive amount of trade going on between the two countries. China set an economic growth target of around 6% for 2021, and it's likely to easily surpass that if official figures can be believed. Meanwhile, the economy of the United States, driven by the success of America's vaccine rollout and massive government stimulus, is expected to grow as fast as 7% this year. The US is currently leading the world economic recovery. Well, if this is a race between two competitors, we need someone to help us understand the rules. And our guest on the podcast today is well placed to do that, as he's an expert at analysing complex economic information. I'd like to welcome back Tommy Wu, lead economist for China at Oxford Economics, who's speaking with me from Hong Kong. Tommy, hello again. Hi, Duncan. Thank you for
1: having me here again.
0: Now, I don't want to put you in a difficult position politically because I know your reports aim to explain the Chinese economy objectively. And that's why I like having you on the podcast. However, it's always helpful to see the economics in a geopolitical context. The way China sees it, the United States is trying to suppress or contain China's growth. What do you see when you look at the data?
1: We don't actually see much of an impact Um, Besides the fact that uh, the US trade share with China uh, has dropped in 2018 to 2019, but the share has actually rebounded in in 2020, uh, even though it's still below the, uh, you know, the pre-trade war
0: level. So you're Um, looking back at previous years, we're talking in 2021, but what you're saying is it picked up in 2020, you're waiting to find out what the situation is in 2021?
1: Uh, yes, because um, well, I would say that in 2021, um, the share has well, at least according to the first few months of the year, um, it has increased uh, uh, by a bit, um, but um, you know it, it's still below the pre-trade war level. So, so that's an observation that I've made. So, you know, there's some impact of the decoupling, but. Uh, is it true that, you know, the, the, the two countries uh, have truly been decoupling? Uh, um, I have to say that, um, you know, it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not as straightforward to answer. Um, the, the reason is that, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of decoupling uh, is affecting, say, uh, high-end uh, technologies or high-end products. Uh, so in terms of knowledge exchange or the export of uh, high-end uh, US technologies to China. So it is true that in, in especially in the sensitive technology area, uh, there has been decoupling. Okay? But in terms of the not-so-high-end products, um, the decoupling hasn't really happened um, because if you look at Uh, say, uh, as I've mentioned, uh, the the trade share with the U.S., uh, even though uh, the share has dropped uh, because of the tariffs uh, over the course of 2018 to 2019, uh, the share has increased back uh, since 2020. And also according to the American Chamber of Commerce, actually over 60% of their members being surveyed still consider China as their number one choice of investment destination. So that's why when I said that, uh, when it comes to the, the coupling between China and the US, it's actually not a straightforward uh, question to, to answer, at least at, at the current juncture.
0: So when it comes to comparing these two economies, I'm sure you've seen reports which say that the Chinese economy will surpass that of the US in terms of its overall scale within a few years. Uh, The Chinese say that overtaking the U.S. in terms of GDP will be a natural outcome of their big big plan, which is to make China more self-sufficient in many respects. What do you think is going on?
1: As long as China is going to grow at a decent pace and with its size of population, uh, taking over the U.S. in terms of the overall size of the economy um, you know, if you can believe in the GDP figures, then uh, it's not too much of a uh, some. It's not something to wonder about, I would say. Now, however, though, uh, even if the size of the Chinese economy would surpass the U.S.'s, um, it doesn't mean that China is becoming a developed economy. Um, because if you look at uh, in per capita terms, uh, which means if you uh, take, say, the GDP or personal income and divide it by uh, the size of the population. So for, for each Chinese uh, citizen, uh, its GDP share or its, its personal income is still way below the U.S. or the average developed country. So it is true that uh, perhaps in, you know, in, in 10 years or so, uh, China's overall size of GDP could be bigger than the U.S., but in terms of uh, the the well-being of the, the, the citizens, uh, at, at what I've called what I've mentioned in, in per capita terms, uh, it's still way uh, you know there's still a long way to catch up uh, for China.
0: As we speak Joe Biden's trying to get a trillion dollar stimulus program passed by the US Senate and the chances are that he'll succeed. He said, and I quote, we're in a race with China and the rest of the world for the 21st century. What do you think are the implications of Biden's stimulus plan for China?
1: I think it will increase the competition between the US and China and perhaps lead to some changes to the global supply chains. Um, And I have to say that it's not just the US that's ramping up uh, investment or at least planning to ramp up investment in technology uh, to reduce reliance on foreign production, especially in semiconductors. Uh, Many European countries are also thinking that way. And perhaps in the future, we will see uh, less exports from China uh, in these more advanced electronic products uh, because of the reshoring activities that's happening uh, in the developed world. Um, so, uh, but I guess for the case of, say, other Asian uh, countries, uh, their companies could still benefit by investing in the U.S. and Europe and and, and serve the demand there, whereas I think the Chinese companies could uh, miss out on these opportunities, um, especially given how, Uh, it looks like the US and also the European countries are more determined when it comes to uh, some of the uh, efforts to reshore production of uh, electronics or other uh, advanced technologies. But I think um, from the Chinese perspective though, uh, given that it it has its own plan on being self-reliant on the technology front and it has its own roadmap. So um there's this competition uh, but for China um, I think from, from Beijing's perspective um, it, it, it will try it, it will double down on its effort to uh, become more self-reliant uh, in terms of uh, uh, research and development and also the production of the the high-tech equipment or products um, because of the uh, uh, seemingly uh, more fierce US-China decoupling, uh, especially in the sensitive technology front.
0: In terms of monetary and fiscal policy, many significant voices in both political parties in the United States say that America can afford to borrow and spend freely thanks to the unrivaled status of the dollar as the world's most wanted currency. But I can foresee problems with this One difficulty would be a weakening of the dollar as a result of the easy money flowing out of the US. A weaker dollar could be to China's advantage. And the other criticism I hear, particularly from the Chinese side, is that the US is indiscriminately printing money without regard to sound economic fundamentals. I know you're a China expert rather than a specialist in the
1: United States, but do you have a view on that? Because of the pandemic, the the quantitative easing by the US is much needed, uh, at least for the US, uh, because the pandemic was just unprecedented. And I think uh, no one wants to see uh, the US financial markets to meltdown, which would have a big consequence uh, or a much bigger consequence than, comparing to say, printing too much money, uh, which uh, as you've mentioned, uh, being criticized by you know uh, some people at the moment. Um, so I think you know it's it's uh, it, it's actually uh, not a bad policy to 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 do quantitative easing at all. Um, and but then I think right now at this current juncture, uh, what we should worry more about is uh, in terms of whether the U.S. will be uh, tapering too early or too late. Um, before the economy is really uh, gaining a firm footing. Um, And I think this is uh, gaining a lot more discussions in terms of uh, when the the U.S. will announce its tapering plan and and what will it mean for, say, uh, not just the U.S., but beyond the U.S., uh, especially in the uh, emerging markets. Because uh, last time when we have seen uh, talks about QE tapering in the U.S. back in the 2013, uh, these markets had uh, gone through something called a tapering tantrum when uh, capital flows, uh, capital were flowing out of these uh, markets. So this is a risk that um, uh, the emerging markets uh, are carefully watching at the moment.
0: Thank you very much, Tommy. That was Tommy Wu, lead economist for China at Oxford Economics. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute. You can find out more about our work, including our courses, research and so on on our website, which is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and you should be able to find us. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.